then. Children of the night, what music they make. They're coming to get you, Barbara. They're here. Ah. Welcome to my nightmare. What an excellent day for an exorcism. Oh, Kill you all. You don't know what death is. We belong dead. Here's Johnny. <laughs> I shot him six times. Only a butt. Free for your life. <laughs> <laughs> to a new world of parts and monsters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Pods and Monsters. With me, as always, is Inthia. Hello. Tonight, we are going to be talking about a classic film of horror and science fiction. It is celebrating its 40th anniversary this year, and that is Alien. Attention to the crew of the commercial vessel Nostromo. A word of warning. Word of warning. Ah! A word of warning. Alien. Coming this summer to a theater near you. When was the last time you saw Alien, Anthea? Like, actually sat down and watched it. It's been a while. I, know, I feel like it was probably with you a few years ago. Um, I do at work have the capability to watch movies while I work. Um, but they're on silent, and I do play it quite often. And I know the general story, but I couldn't think of what the details were. Right. Were there any moments that you remember that stuck out? I mean, of course, the chestburster scene you must have remembered. Uh, chestburster, um, almost anything having to do with the cat. Jonesy. The infamous underwear scene. <laughs> the underwear scene. Where she's getting into the spacesuit. I've heard some people talk about that, that they don't like that because it. Uh, she's such a strong female character where actually gender doesn't even matter. She could have been played by a man. In fact, that's one of the, one of the interesting things was uh, it wasn't necessarily written to be a man or a woman. Mm-hmm. Um, but that last moment is she becomes sexualized a little bit. And part of the reason also is uh, Ridley Scott, when directing it, had sort of a an idea to throw sexuality into the movie mm-hmm. where uh, the alien would be aroused by her. It got cut from the final print, but oh, that was goodness. an idea he had. Uh, a lot of the art that H.R. Giger made is so sexual. It's extremely sexual and like when you look at the alien himself he's very um phallic-y <laughs> so uh it's always very interesting i mean it but it i mean if you start looking at it that way i don't see the problem with ripley bringing in this femininity into the situation yeah. but i would have a huge issue with it being aroused by looking at her <laughs> yes. i do i do think that that's a little yeah it's a little strange that would not be my favorite yeah 
But I'm sure there's like fan fiction about it somewhere. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> what were some other things that you remember about the movie before we watched it again? Um, so I remember there's a ship called the Nostromo. Uh-huh. Could not remember for the life of me what the point was of that ship. Like, I was like, what is it? What is the Nostromo? Uh-huh. Why are they in space? Why are they looking? And for a second, I was like, oh, they're looking for a planet to repopulate. Right. This is not the case. Um, <laughs> um, and I put well, that's down, how it is in the, in the sequels. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so I put down um, the characters that I remembered. Um, so I put Ripley, um, Ollivander, Bilbo Baggins, Lance Hendrickson, uh, that 70s show lady, and the man that's always um, sweaty in the 70s and 80s. I have no idea who you're talking about. Wait, wait. So, give me that list again. <laughs> <laughs> so Ripley. Okay. Ollivander. All, John Hurt. I wondered when I'd be seeing you, Mr. Potter. Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> Who's Bilbo Baggins? Uh, Ian Holmes. He's Bilbo Baggins? Yeah. I didn't even know that. Yeah, he's Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> I'm like, is he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's okay. Bilbo Baggins. My precious. Precious. Lance Hendrickson. Okay. Again, this, I was going, I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh, there's two robots. I prefer the term artificial person myself. That 70s show lady. So Who's the That 70s Show Lady? Is her name Veronica Carth... Carth- She's on That 70s Show? Wasn't she? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I gotta look this up. But the thing is, I couldn't remember the name of her character, but I couldn't remember her actual name, and I don't know what else she has been in. No, That 70s Show. <laughs> okay, so I'm wrong, but whatever. Um, And man, there's always sweaty in the 70s and 80s. So who's that? Is that... The only gentleman of color in this movie... Oh, Yafit Koto. Yeah, yeah. For some reason, I just always imagine him in shirts that have no sleeves, and he's just sweaty and everything, but then I think I might have gotten him confused with someone else. Yeah, um, I mean, I I can't say I've seen a ton of stuff with Yafit Koto, but I never thought of him as just being the sweaty guy. (laughs) I just feel like he's always been sweaty. Okay, so I put down that they find a planet, bring back pod thing. And was it, one is attacked on planet by a facehugger, John right. Hurt. Um, then I put table alien scene. Ian Baggins <laughs> <laughs> is a robot bent on killing the crew to bring back alien to Earth? Question mark. Uh, everyone's super surprised that he's a robot. Um, grown alien is stalking and killing. Ripley is last to survive. Underwear and cat scenes. Acid spit. Um, and then I put Bishop is a robot, uh, but they knew that. So that's uh, a perfect analysis. Thank you for joining us on Pods and Monsters. That's it. That is exactly how the end. Roll those credits. Um, so biggest surprise in the first couple of minutes. Lance Hendrickson's name is nowhere to be found. And I was like, mm, I I've just mixed them all up together. <laughs> and also, uh, it's also Henriksen. Henriksen? Yeah. Well, I it's think. because it's Henry, yeah, that's fine. I never, I met him once. He's a very nice man. You were there. Yeah, uh, we saw him at Monster Palooza mm-hmm. a few times. That's my uneducated, um, really, I have really bad recall. Total recall. So. <laughs> um, well, you got some stuff right. And I really like this movie. <laughs> and I would, it, before this, I was like, oh, yeah, I love Alien. I know. All about it. Yeah. No. I mean, I love Alien myself. It's not a movie that I watched a lot as a kid because even though it is a great movie, um, it's not the type of movie that I I 
rewatch very often. Uh, you should. I mean, I, I, I should, but it's not the kind of movie that I put on to relax to go to sleep to, if that makes sense. Why would you? It is so tense. Well, because I do that with lots of horror movies. Okay, well. But Alien, it, it is more tense, so maybe that's why. <laughs> tense movie. <laughs> so, yeah, so... We decided for this episode of the podcast that we would watch the 2003 director's cut of Alien. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Ridley Scott, he believes that the perfect version of Alien is the original theatrical release. Why did he make a director's cut? He ma- They called it a director's cut for marketability, mm-hmm. uh, to market it that way. But really what it was is ever since the movie was released, people knew about these deleted scenes through uh, interviews or the novelization. Uh, For instance, one of the deleted scenes is, which we'll talk about soon, is uh, finding Dallas in the cocoon. That was known, but it Mm -hmm. wasn't in the movie. Mm -hmm. And people for years and years have wanted to see these things. And I think it probably was released on DVD as bonus features, but people wanted to see them actually put into the movie. So he decided to make this cut basically for... uh, to please the fans. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's interesting to see all this stuff. Uh, there is some good stuff in there. I have to I have to watch the original version myself again to, to really give an opinion on it. Because I've really only watched the director's cut the last few times. Okay. I was taken by surprise by a lot of stuff. Um, and I had forgotten very promptly into us watching it that we were watching the director's cut. Mm-hmm. Until certain scenes either lasted forever Um, Or that cocoon scene, I was like, oh, apparently I don't know this movie at all. And then I was like, oh, yeah, we're watching the extended cut. And I feel like there was more um, cat in the box abuse in this this version. I don't know if there was or not. There probably wasn't, but I really uh, became fixated on poor Jonesy just being bad around so willy nilly. (laughs) Poor little fella. So uh, why don't we go through uh, the movie, uh, pick out some key notes, and uh, discuss Alien. So one of the things that I really enjoyed um, was the opening title sequence. Um, Just seeing um, the word alien pieced together. I like that, too. Um, It's very neat, very... uh, you know, it looks like it's going to be an alien language or a computer language, and mm-hmm. then all of a sudden it's alien. You know, they uh, the original logo that they had designed for it was going to be bones, kind of like the alien's bones. Okay. But I think Ridley Scott made the right choice to go with this logo. I agree. I completely agree. Um, so we find out that Nostromo is headed back towards Earth, and that is a commercial towing vehicle. So that answered my number one question, which is, what is up with the Nostromo? Yeah, you know, I, I, I didn't really remember so much either what the Nostromo was doing there. Yeah, but and I'm always kind of confused as to which part is the spaceship and which part is the thing that they're towing. Like the giant thing that you see in the opening shot is something that they're towing. I don't know. I'm a little confused as to what the Nostromo actually is. Apparently. I mean, it may not be actively towing things. It may be done with towing and is now going back home. Oh, no, wait. They're bringing stuff back because yeah. Parker is like super obsessed with getting um, his share of yeah. whatever they've earned. Um, so another thing, so many pipes, which I really felt like, um, the, I really love the imagery of the, the spaceship and there's like the super clean part of the ship, mm-hmm. 
which is almost like a sanctuary for them. And then like the the super just like nitty gritty, just grimy parts of the ship, um, which are always full of steam and pipes. And even though the clean parts are clean, they still have the same lines that kind of reflect emulate those pipes right um and that's like it almost felt like they're inside of the belly of like a beast or something like in that i don't know yeah you know the the opening moments when they uh, wake up from their pods Mm -hmm. it always reminds me of uh planet of the apes remember in the beginning of that when they wake up and uh one of the astronauts is all like mummified because the pod broke Oh, no. Wait, which one? Which Planet of the the, Apes? The original Planet of the Apes. Oh, okay. So I have not ever watched those movies. Well, Planet of the Apes (laughs) is coming up soon, so. I watched the Tim Burton one. Oh, no. (laughs) Take your stinking hands off me, you damn dirty human. I really, really love future technology in the 70s and 80s. Uh-huh. So many buttons. I love how loud everything is. Oh, it's just horrible. All the <laughs> clinking and clacking keyboards that sound like this. <laughs> Here, let me put my microphone closer to my keyboard. <laughs> Alien, watch out! Watch out! <laughs> my microphone fell. <laughs> Be careful. Um, We're introduced to Mother. Oh, mother wants to talk to you. So Mother is a beige computer room and I again forgot about this room and I think with this do we get more scenes in this room? I believe so yeah. Okay. Well I noticed also did you notice in the director's cut uh, the graphics look more modern a little bit? Do they? I, I'm pretty sure uh, when you're reading the screen you can tell when it's a newer display. Mm. Um, so everyone wakes up thinking that they're docking. Um, they're about to get to Earth. They are not. Tom Skerritt uh, tells them that Mother woke them up. Woke them up early due to a transmission, an SOS. And someone actually asked, they say, is it human? And he's like, it's unknown. Which I like the foreshadowing. And I really like that people are constantly noping the situations. Um, Parker and then um, the woman that was not in that 70s show. Lambert. <laughs> Lambert. Um, They are two of the more vocal nopers in the group, um, but they're always getting their warnings and ideas are constantly being pushed off and no one's ever really listening to them. Right. Um, So they listen for this weird radio uh, signal from a planetoid. Um, and the only person that's like super jazzed about this is um, Ash, played by Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> and, uh, Ian Holm. He is just like so excited. Um, and then I wrote down here, I don't think Bishop is in this one. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be correct. <laughs> um, so the landing is super rough. And it damages the ship. So they land on this planetoid. So Kane, Dallas, Lambert go on to this planetoid. Um, Bilbo's supposed to be watching them. And then I really like... What did I say? Bobo. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I will try not to call him Bilbo, Bobo, nothing like that. Isn't it Bilbo? I've been saying Bilbo until I guess right now. Bobo. (laughs) And I think Bobo's from... Nothing but trouble. <laughs> exactly what I was gonna say. <laughs> Hi, I'm Bobo. That's Little Double. Hi, 
We're not allowed in the house. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So we got this like amazing view of the crashed ship. Right. Which I thought was really great. And it looks Uh, awful. Like, why would you go towards that? And the planet is horrible. There's just wind and debris flying everywhere and these horrible vents. And I do like that it's like really, really noisy. And then I think they make a comment about the weather and it goes really silent. But the same like nonsense is still happening around them. Like there are vents going off, but it's just uh like really silent. Yeah, well, yeah, that shot of uh, the ship is so great. It's such a greatly designed ship. I mm-hmm. think uh, they referred to it as like the giant croissant oh. when we're making the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's great. Um, so they go in there. They see the space jockey um, and his, I called it a penis telescope. Um, <laughs> well, it kind of looks like an elephant. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's hard to tell until they start getting up and close and in, to stuff. And right. yeah, he looks. It looks like he's wearing like a mask that's kind of elephanty looking and goes like has like a breathing right. tube situation. And um, but that is like the space jockey is so amazing to look at. Right, and you know, in Prometheus, they talk more about the space jockey since it is a, a prequel to Alien. And, you know, I was a little disappointed that it is uh, basically uh, a uniform that they put on, uh, armor. Yeah. I, you know, I always imagined that that's what a particular alien species looked like. And it was a mummified alien. And I think that was the intention originally. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then Prometheus sort of changed it. Yeah, I could see that. And then did you notice the space jockey had a big hole in his chest? Well, yeah, and they kind of close up and doesn't someone almost stick their hand in it? Or maybe I was just envisioning them or they were like getting close, but we, they definitely push in yeah. a bit on that hole. Um, And Dallas does comment that it looks like he exploded from the inside out. Right. Bones have been out, Like he exploded from inside. So cut back to Ripley being back on the ship and she's like, this SOS is not an SOS. It's a warning. Um, And she tries to talk to Ash about it. And Ash is like, again, squashing her attempts. Mm -hmm. Um, Ash is just throwing up all sorts of like signals. So Kane goes down to look at the eggs. um, And he's like, there's like a barrier mist, which I really like that, that they created this like barrier type of thing with just like a a light, like a a source of light beam. And then just like, it's fog. it's uh yeah it's laser lights and, and fog do you I know love it do you know where they got those laser lights from uh-uh <laughs> uh where they were filming the movie which was shepperton studios uh in another stage nearby was uh the who the band <laughs> so for one of their concerts they had their lasers so they said hey let's borrow those lasers and put a concert into the alien movie <laughs> um so i put down falls into mist and eggs um, and then the eggs hiss back at him. You know how they open? It's sort of a cross-stitching, and they open up at four corners? Mm-hmm. Originally, it was just one slit, and they'd open up on each side, but it looked too much like a vagina. <laughs> so they were forced to change it. I think this is a much better idea. Yeah. Uh, did you notice the water dripping up? Yes. That was pretty neat. I do like that they, a lot. They filmed yeah. that from upside down. Mm-hmm. And liked also, I think they showed... Um, the bottom of the egg and it's more translucent and you can kind of see movement inside uh-huh. where the top is super opaque mm-hmm. and then it opens up and I will say that the uh, face hugger membrane is one of the more disgusting effects <laughs> um, aside yeah. from when they turn it around and basically just like play around with an oyster 
<laughs> yeah. Blech. Um, <laughs> there's some gross stuff in Alien, and it, it's made me feel a little queasy before. Yeah, yeah, I just... Um, so I like the whole dynamic of, like, Ripley not wanting to bring Kane on board, and it just, it's more of the Ash deciding to take things further, and I really like that struggle that, you know, it's... And, again, I know that a lot of people, I'm I, in this case, I was like... Why did they even bring him on to the ship? And then I'm like, well, if they hadn't brought him to the ship, we wouldn't have a movie. But <laughs> there's so many Who times. Where, yeah. There's so many times watching this movie where I'm like, I wish they hadn't done that. I wish they hadn't done that. But then we wouldn't have a movie to watch. Right. Because I'm just so stressed out. Well, you just want everything to go uh, Ripley's right? way. Yeah. <laughs> I just want them to get to Earth. Fine. I yeah. want Ripley to be okay. And I want Jonesy to be okay. I mean, in the end, they are okay, I guess. Well. Uh, yeah. I, I know, I know, I know, but we're just we're just pretending we're just watching Alien. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and they put Lambert um slaps Ripley hard for <laughs> leaving them outside. That was a, a deleted scene put back in. Like that was a slap. Um, yeah, apparently they filmed that several times and Sigourney Weaver kept ducking out of the way. And Ridley Scott told Veronica Cartwright that she's really going to have to hit her hard. <laughs> so she did. And it was kind of a shock to everyone. It was just so good. So again, we end up finding out um, from here that, that the creatures bleed acid, um, which super iconic. Um I put down Ash is being creepy, won't share info with Ripley, and like she's trying to look in the microscope, and he's like, no. Um, and then I put, does Rip know he's a robot? Because she starts using really interesting verbiage when she's talking to Ash. Yeah. Um, I don't think she does know, though. Okay. And then I'm like, look, he's drinking this weird milky liquid. But she's like, that's not really in the manual. The way that she talks to him in the scene where they're near that microscope leads me to believe that she knows that something is very off about him. I don't know. It's interesting. I like their dialogue in that scene. Yeah. Um, And the creature's just gone. And Ash is real cool about it. Um, Kane wakes up. He's A-OK. Um, and then we have dinner. And here's the infamous scene. Because of Spaceballs, <laughs> I see the little the little alien that comes out, and I just want to be like, hello, my honey. Hello, my baby. <laughs> That's a great parody. And you know, it's John Hurt in Spaceballs. Mm-hmm. Do you remember what he says? No. He says, oh, no, not again, or something like that. <laughs> oh, 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 no. Not again. So everyone wants to kill the alien. Ash prevents them from touching it. And then they (laughs) shoot Kane's body into outer space. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Well, they have to do something with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, They go to look for the creature. And then um, I put this ship as a house of horrors. And this is before the creature even got there. Like, I just wouldn't want to walk around by myself. And then they send Brett um, to go look for Jonesy. And Brett played by... Harry Dean Stanton. Yes. And then he, like, finds shredded skin. The skin that he finds, I found, was really impressively small for how large the alien is. Like, the growth between... I don't know how long it must have been. Right. I, I've always... It's que- just a few hours. I've always questioned that, too. What is the rate of growth of an alien? They they become adult in several hours? Yeah. I mean, 
That they should have just been finding like skin everywhere. <laughs> yeah. Everywhere. But I guess that skin was supposed to be the skin of the little one, the chestburster. Yeah. But if they're insinuating that it sheds its skin to become this bigger creature, wouldn't it have to go through several steps? I don't know. That's that's, that's an interesting question. And I, I wonder if there's ever been a fan theory or, or maybe in the book it says something. I don't know. Yeah. From here, it kills Brett and it kills Dallas. Um, there's this wonderful tunnel sequence or going through the air ducts yeah. um, where I thought that Dallas was dead, even though we don't have a body. But we don't have a body for Brett either. That's right. Um, and they disappear. <laughs> Ripley ends up talking to Mother. Mother reveals um, that it plans to keep and uh, retrieve and keep the alien um, and the crew is expendable and that it rerouted the ship. So they're no longer going back home. And so she talks to Ash about it and Ash is sweating all of this weird milky liquid. Um, (laughs) And then he tries to kill her. And I always found it was really interesting. Did you find that when Ash tries to kill her, when you you realize sort of realize he's a robot you know you see the 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 milky sweat coming off it was all done in close-up really tight close-up and he couldn't really tell exactly what was going on it seemed kind of weird like they were cutting around something which uh could be the case because there was a lot of deleted scenes Hmm. i don't know Um, i guess maybe to not give it away too much with those scenes i really i kind of more got that um killing these people might be against his programming so even though he has this new directive to get the alien back home he seems to be struggling because at one point i feel like when they hit him it's the it's a fairly light tap where he just starts going berserk but yeah but before that when he's like rolling up that magazine which by the way never made quite too much sense that he was going to try to choke her with this magazine (laughs) right um he is really struggling to do it like it's because he's such a fluid human right before that and i don't think that she's caused enough damage to him to right start acting the the way he is the whole thing just kind of seems to come out of nowhere Mm mm-hmm where he's just sort of malfunctioning all of a sudden? Is it because she knows the mission now and why he's there? It triggered something? Or maybe talking to Mother and Mother is like reprogramming him? I mean, I don't know. I don't know how that works. Maybe there, I'm sure there is like, you know, 30 seconds of exposition that is, that's been removed, you know? So I put down that Parker messes him up and he yells out, he's an android. (laughs) (laughs) It's a robot. Ash is a goddamn robot. He's a robot. So one of my favorite special effects also is this decapitated Ash, um, where they're like trying to set his head down. Yeah. And then it's like this really great fake head. And then it's a really terrible cut to (laughs) the actor having his head poking out. And I like that his hand is above his head. And for a second, I was like, oh, is that hand his hand? But the way that the hand is facing, I don't think that hand is his hand. Uh-huh. So is it like him and another person under this table? The hand was moving? Yeah, the hand was moving behind his head. Or was that a fake hand? I don't know. It was done really well, though. But um, There's a little bit of discrepancy also with the fake head where 
right before they set it on fire, he has this silly grin that he didn't have before when he shut down, you know? No, he did. At the end of when he's shutting down, I he mean, has he did. A, a grin, but I mean, then it's did. a lot more exaggerated. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, plan to blow up the ship now. So everyone's like, okay, let's get ready. Let's go do this. Um, and then I did put down speaker meow. So it's like you hear Jonesy, mm-hmm. but it sounds like Jonesy got on the intercom and was all meow. <laughs> yeah. How does that cat know how to <laughs> call for help by pressing the speaker? Jones. So from here, I put down that Jonesy is possibly the real villain of this movie. <laughs> How so? Um, every time he Luring watches so in. many people get murdered, yeah. he lured so many people away to these murder spots. And um, I would not think that that was the case if they didn't have those shots of his face as people are getting attacked. <laughs> right. And hissing. Yes. It's probably hissing at them instead of the alien. And he's all kill them. And then the alien's like, I'm coming. In space, <laughs> no one can hear you meow. And then I put down that um, kills Lambert and Parker. And we watched an extended version of this scene where uh-huh. Lambert and Parker encounter the alien while they're getting those tubes. Um, and I have to say, I did not like that super extended scene that we watched. Yeah, there's if, if you if you look online, um, like alternate alien death scenes, there are longer versions of Brett's death and of uh, um Parker and Lambert, where they show the alien a lot more. He's uh, basically doing sort of a uh, spider walk, almost like the exorcist, (laughs) you know, a crab walk. But I don't think it's done very well. It's not. You see the alien too much. And that was the brilliance that Ridley Scott had was he kept everything in close up and shadows. So you would only get pieces of the alien that you put together yourself. The only time you really see a full body shot is the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, and then here um, is by the way yes when they're gathering the coolant bottles Mm -hmm. for people that are worried about this alien trying to find them they are so loud with those bottles just throwing them everywhere (laughs) wouldn't they be a little bit more careful but I mean that ship you don't know where it is but still I would think I don't know I would want to be silent I don't know I mean I would too so here's like the biggest deleted scene that I immediately had a whole moment, which is this nest um, with Brett and Dallas in uh-huh. it and Dallas pleading for her to kill him. Something very similar is in Alien Resurrection. Also in Aliens. Oh, is. <sighs> I don't know Alien Resurrection very well, but Aliens. Has... Brad Dourif and he's just like has the biggest boner over these aliens and it's just talking about how amazing they are. It's a real horrible yeah. I mean, it's great, but it's well, horrible. Like at one point in Aliens, the aliens uh, take the little girl and she's in the cocoon. And oh, okay. They're trapped at this wall and they are cocooned. And the plan is they are going to be turning into eggs mm-hmm. like you see at the beginning of the movie. Uh, and basically, you kind of see the stages. A, right. It's incubation system. And you see how Brett was killed earlier and he, his process of transforming is further along. Uh, so it's just kind of an idea they had to keep what the alien would do to keep the species alive. Now, of course, aliens sort of switches this mode of creating eggs and life by having a queen alien. Mm-hmm. But maybe this could just be an alternate way of... Uh, spreading their kind like when a queen's not around yeah yeah i don't know um but this nest is real gross yeah and then you know i said earlier that 
there were deleted scenes that were talked about when the movie came out. I was reading uh, an issue of Famous Monsters of Filmland from 1979, and they talked about this cocoon scene, mm-hmm. which wasn't in the movie. Oh. So people knew that there was more stuff out there, and that's one of the reasons for the director's cut. Hmm. Um, no, I mean, it's a really great scene. It is a little destroyed. It does kind of break the pacing at the end of the movie. That's the reason they got rid of it, is yeah. all for pacing. Yeah, yeah. But it is a really good scene. So, um finally got jonesy jonesy's in a box now um and then the alien smacks the crap out of this box (laughs) after ripley drops it all the time yeah so (laughs) this box is getting thrown around by everyone hit around the alien's kind of not into the box either well he looks at it and then just kind of hits it away yeah he's like telling jonesy jonesy doesn't have any more power over him (laughs) um and then the ship blows up yeah um the plan is to kill the alien so ripley set the uh self-destruct and uh but it's funny why does she want to turn it off before she leaves because she Um, feels like she doesn't have enough time i think so i think because um she wasn't able to get any of the coolant so you know she goes into the little spaceship that's attached to the nostromo and the alien is in there yeah i was reading that the alien didn't necessarily go in there knowing that she was going to be in there, but he was already injured, apparently, and looking for a place to die. And that's where he went to go. I don't know if that's true, but that's what... Well, I mean, I did ask you, because the alien is real lethargic at this point. Yeah. Like, it's just... um, And I really like the scene where it's with that strobe effect, and it's moving in this somewhat slow motion-y... It's moving a lot slower than it has been... Right. The entire time. And it could also speak to how their life cycle. That's true. Um, Possibly. He's but an old man now. <laughs> I know. He's like super old man alien. Um, and he's just kind of um, moonwalking around when he gets out of there. Um, so uh, from there, she throws him out of the ship and then he tries to get back in the ship through the blasters, through the... Engine is he trying to get back in, or because he was caught in the doors because of the the harpoon's string? Yeah, yeah. Was it just he just sort of floated back because his his inertia was taking him that way? Maybe, but then he was like, "I'm gonna go in here," and then and then they have that weird shot where it just kind of morphs the frame of the movie. To Mm -hmm. I think they did that because they were trying to mask seeing the full alien hoping to avoid any sort of hokiness mm. so maybe that's why they did that maybe and then i put down tiny undies <laughs> <laughs> she has tiny undies she has insanely small underwear and yeah and then um cryogenically freezes that cat and uh time for them to go to sleep and go to earth and that's the end yeah and it's a great picture yeah I really enjoyed it. <laughs> um, I don't know if I think I prefer the theatrical cut. Right. I normally prefer director's cuts. Mm-hmm. I just feel like a, a few scenes went a little too long. Like right. Brett's scene was a little too much. And you do see a lot more his of death his scene? death scene. Mm-hmm. And you do see a lot more of the alien. You do. But I love that shot of him just swinging in the chains. I think maybe if it were darker. 
Yeah. I think it's a fantastic movie. It's still um, definitely now that I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Now I can definitely tell you what the movie is about. It's just such a good, suspenseful movie that's just yeah. know, got a little bit of everything in it. And uh, yeah, I, I love the movie. I love the design of the alien. Yeah, the effects, the Ooh. cinematography, everything. It's just so great. And it's very quintessential for its time. Yeah. And um, who'd win in a fight, alien or predator? If it was just one alien, one predator, predator with no weapons. I like alien more. Yeah. I like the aliens from alien more. I do too. But I would probably say I feel like the predator's beefier. Well, the predator is intelligent and could find a way to kill the alien, much like Sigourney Weaver finds a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just raw fighting abilities without using any sort of weapons or intelligence. They're just going at it. I'd go with the alien. Yeah. They have their their blood defense mechanism and yeah. all that sort of thing. True. Well, at this point... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Uh, segue. Well, at this point... <laughs> well, at this point, let's talk about uh, a little bit of the production history of Alien. Do you know what the original um, title of Alien was? No. So original... Nostromo? (laughs) No, but... Nostromo Adventure. (laughs) No. Originally, it was titled Memory. Why? I don't know. Okay. And then... uh, (laughs) I'm like, oh, is there like a real underlying (laughs) plot there that I completely missed? (laughs) But then um, a title that was sticking for a while was Star Beast. I don't like that. I don't either. And the writer, uh, Dan O'Bannon, he didn't like it either. So he was looking for another title. And as he was just looking at the script, he saw he used the word alien so many times. And he thought that's a a, a perfect title. Yeah, no, that's that's perfect. how Alien came to be. So Dan O'Bannon, who wrote the Alien script... He initially he had different names for all the characters and another writer came in and basically just changed all their names, which I think is a great idea because the names are perfect in this movie. I mm-hmm. love everyone's name. No, it's so, extremely fitting to every that, single one of them. Whoever that was, I don't remember if it was a producer or another writer, but changing their names to what they are now was a great idea. Mm-hmm. But uh, Dan O'Bannon was the uh, uh, writer. He had his initial story that he was trying to sell. The only thing that was added in not by him was the whole robot aspect. Okay. He basically, you know, wrote the whole treatment uh, of the movie within a few days. And that's 80% of the movie that he had done. Wow. So when he had the script and they were making the movie, you know, they had Ridley Scott directing it eventually. And Dan O'Bannon made a request that... Ridley Scott and producer Walter Hill watched Texas Chainsaw Massacre mm-hmm. because he thought that it would influence them to keep that type of energy and suspense up throughout the entire movie of, uh, you know, not letting up at all. No. And, you know, it kind of makes it kind of makes sense. I mean, it's Texas Chainsaw Massacre in uh, space. <laughs> I mean, but the I, I guess so. I just feel like, well, I mean, I feel like they're so different. They are. Um, but It's just kind of a feeling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. So the movie takes place in... Do you remember what year it takes place in? 
No. I don't remember if they say it in the movie, but it takes... 2054. It takes place in 2122. Oh, so close. (laughs) (laughs) So about 100 years from now. So the Nostromo was originally uh, called Snark and then the Leviathan. Uh, But they ended up going with Nostromo, and they chose that name because it's a book that Ridley Scott was a fan of called The Nostromo by Joseph Conrad. And that's about a, a group of people that are trapped on an island. And this is basically a group of people trapped on the island of a spaceship. Nostromo, (laughs) A Tale of the Seaboard, 1904. So they hired artists to make uh, Alien a reality. And one of the first people they brought on was concept artist Ron Cobb. And at at first he uh, he was creating all different types of art for the entire movie. Mm-hmm. But it was decided that he would really do the interior of the Nostromo. Okay. Uh, so he designed all those great sets that you see. He also did some early concept art for the alien, which uh, didn't really fly. You know, it was kind of looked like a 50s horror movie, you know. Mm-hmm. But Ron Cobb, he was a great artist. And he did, he actually did one of my favorite covers of Famous Monsters of Filmland, number 33, the big close-up of Lon Chaney as Quasimodo, the Hunchback of Notre Dame. He also worked on Firefly. 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 So yeah, so Ron Cobb was doing the uh, interior of the spaceship and someone else, I I don't remember the name offhand, was to design the exterior of the Nostromo. And at one point they couldn't decide what they were going to go with. So Ridley Scott of the producers had a bunch of art all over to pick whose design is going to be the exterior of the Nostromo, or which design. Mm -hmm. And they ended up picking one of Rob Cobb's illustrations. So he ended up designing the outside as well as the inside. Very nice. Except uh, in his concept painting for the Nostromo, it was yellow. And Ridley Scott decided to go with uh, darker colors and battleship grays and things like that. Yeah, for sure. And then, of course, the big artist uh, with the movie is H.R. Giger, who... uh, really designed the alien world. He designed the planet that they land on, the spaceship that they find, the space jockey, and the alien himself. And, you know, all of his work was very unique and looked like everything he painted looked like it was born in the world of Alien, even though he was making stuff years before Alien came to be. Mm -hmm. So they didn't really uh, fight with him on any of his designs because... They were so unique. He's from Switzerland and. (laughs) Yes. Yes, he is. (laughs) And he said that his paintings, uh, his inspiration came from nightmares that he had. And lots of people thought that his paintings were a sort of dystopian alien type future. Mm -hmm. Um, But he never thought of them as a future, just just some scary sort of world he was creating. But he was fine with people interpreting it that way. So his style, it's it's a combination of humans, creatures, you know, insects, and uh, and machine. Yeah. And he called it a biomechanoid. Biomechanoid? Biomechanoid. Okay. So that's what he called his style because it combined all those. So many penises. <laughs> yes. <There's> so many. <laughs> Very, it's a giant penis running around. Is it like for every penis, was there a vagina? Well, there are lots of vaginal looking areas in fact the entrance to the um spaceship yes that they go into looks like a vagina that's true 
And, and as I told you with the uh, eggs originally designed. So he designed all that, the eggs also. Oh, nice. And not only did he paint them and do the concept art, but he was a sculptor too and sculpted the models. And as much as he could do, he sculpted the actual thing. He sculpted and painted the actual space jockey that oh, was used in the movie. That's awesome. That space jockey was 26 feet tall. It was a huge, yeah. huge piece. And... The space jockey room and the room where they find the eggs was the exact same room. They just took the space jockey out and put eggs in its place. You know? Okay. How many pieces do you think that space jockey was in? One million. No, I think it, it was relatively small. I think it was the platform and then the space jockey sitting in his seat all in one piece and then the big gun. And they would just like wheel it. Okay. I think so. Okay. That's um, impressively large. Yeah, and apparently that prop didn't make it past filming of the movie because uh, apparently some stagehand or someone left a uh, burning cigarette on it and it burned down and there was a big fire. And that original space jockey does not exist any longer. That's horrible. That is horrible. I'm pretty sure that haunts them to this day. So Ron Cobb, who was, you know, part of the initial planning of Alien, he had he had a description of what happened to the space jockeys, which I thought was interesting because it's not the same exactly as to uh, what we later see in Prometheus. Mm -hmm. So he said, at some point, a cataclysm causes the extermination of the adults in this unique race, leaving no one to tend and nurture the young. But in a dark lower chamber of the breeding temple, a large number of eggs lie dormant waiting to sense something warm. Years later, the space jockey race comes to the planetoid. The jockeys are on a mission of exploration and archaeology, and they are fascinated by this marvelous temple and unknown culture. One of them finds the egg chamber and gets face-hugged. He's rescued, but no one knows what's happened. They take him back to the ship and they continue their exploration of the planet's surface. When the chestburster erupts from the jockey, it goes on a killing rampage until it is shot and killed. The alien dies, but immediately decomposes and its acid eats through the hull of the jockey ship, leaving them stranded on the planet. The jockeys radio out a message that there is a dangerous parasite on the planet, that nothing can be done to save them in time, and that no one should attempt a rescue. Then the jockeys slowly starve to death. Hmm. So that's, in their concept, that was the backstory of what these jockeys were and why that radio signal was going out. Mm -hmm. Which kind of makes you think, you know, because they added a lot more than just that in Prometheus. Yeah, yeah. And obviously, because of how they're referring to the space jockey, I think that's what they intended that particular race to look like Mm -hmm. not a costume oh okay that's what i'm thinking yeah yeah yeah. so yeah i you know as i said they would just take the space jockey prop out and they would have the egg chamber and they filled that room with lots of eggs there were 130 eggs in that room oh there were actual okay i thought maybe there was just a few close to the camera no they and then they made all all the eggs oh wow yeah so remember you were saying it was it's kind of gross when, they, when it opens up and you look inside and yeah, you can see it going around. Yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's inside the alien eggs. Is uh, it chicken skin? It was cattle hearts and and cattle stomachs. I, ooh, and then ooh. the the <gasps> like intestines. The egg tube of the face hugger was a sheep intestine. You know, I looked at menudo once. Have you ever had menudo? Nope. What? <laughs> so it's a soup. 
<laughs> and it has um, intestines and like awful, I guess, in it, right? And I remember um, I'd like, I've always wanted to eat it mm-hmm. and it smells so good, but it's a textural situation with me and I'm not going to chow down on some intestine. Yeah. Um, but stomach and whatnot does have that webbed look to it. If I'm remembering correctly, I don't mess with menu though. So. <laughs> but from what I'm remembering, so you ate uh, an alien egg before, maybe. <laughs> I don't know how much more clear I could be. I, I don't eat it. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> but bro, I was I was talking to you earlier about the size of the space jockey. How I thought it looked smaller. Yeah. In this one, well, you know, they actually, even though it was 26 feet tall or long. Uh, they still wanted it to look even bigger. So in the wide shot, it's actually Ridley Scott's kids and the cinematographer's kids in the space suits uh, (laughs) that are walking up to it to make it look even bigger. And you know, those space suits, they didn't put like air holes in it. So it was just all this condensation coming back and constantly Tom Skerritt, John Hurt and Veronica Cartwright were passing out. And then, when the kids started passing out, they eventually said, we've got to do something about this costume. So they fixed it eventually, but they were very hot and bulky. Ugh. Oh, another funny story I thought was H.R. Giger didn't live in the United States. And when they were doing early production meetings, he was bringing his sculptures with them. And he got stuck uh, at the airport in TSA yeah. because yeah. he had a he had a face hugger <laughs> with him and they had no idea what it actually was. So the writer, Dan O'Bannon, had to uh, drive down to the airport and tell them it's for a movie. I can't that. even <laughs> imagine. I would have been terrified and been like, you need to go back from whence you came, sir. You can't bring this in here. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That face hugger is very interesting. Got a little testicles on the side and. That's exactly what they refer to it as, testicles. Oh, really? Ugh. Uh, and like knuckly, witchy, hand, like uh, little legs and stuff. And mm-hmm. I just don't enjoy when they turn it over. And then like the part that would essentially be the huggy part looks like uh, like oysters. Like it, Yeah, it was oysters. Oh, okay. Mmm, gross. I already think oysters are gross to begin with. When they do the autopsy on the face hugger, they use shellfish, oysters, and sheep kidneys. And I gotta say, when I saw that in the theater... Jeez, <laughs> <laughs> this set must have smelled horrible. <laughs> I remember when I first saw Alien in the theater. It wasn't my first time seeing it, but the first time in the theater. I wasn't feeling too well that day, and... There's quite a few things in that movie that may be queasy, including that and lots of the robot stuff. The white milk made me feel sick. (laughs) Yes, because it's just so viscous. Um, Maybe not viscous, opaque. It's very opaque and it's everywhere and it just looks gross. Yeah. Um, And then he's like guzzling. He's just drinking it down. And I mean, and everything is just so fleshy colored. (laughs) Uh, it's gross. Yeah. It's really is, and I think the sound effects, since there isn't any music. No, there is. There is. The music was very well edited to work within the sound effects of the movie. Mm-hmm. The music was by Jerry Goldsmith, who is a huge music composer. Okay. Um, what else has he done? He did uh, Planet of the Apes. Okay. Um, he was. Bernard Herrmann, who did uh, Psycho, oh. he was like his protege. Oh. Uh, one of the last things he did, I think, was Soren Over California. 
What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And he did the mummy. Wait, with Brendan Fraser? Yeah. <laughs> I need a really beef up bang. But what? He had a big orchestral score for Alien and they chopped it up and just used it to work within the sound effects of this movie mm-hmm. and he was pissed about it and he did not like Ridley Scott after the really? Yeah. Oh, that's unfortunate because yeah. I don't I for some reason I really remember more of the silent parts of this movie. Yeah, I mean you can't really think of what the theme of the movie is no. where Aliens has such a big score. That's by James Horner. Mm-hmm. And that's a great score. But yeah, this one, it, it's it's hard to pick out or think about when you think back on it. When I, The only time I can really remember that there's music playing is when Ripley is getting ready to go to sleep at the end. Um, yeah. There's that build into the music to the end of the movie. Right. Um, but going back into uh, the chestburster scene, uh-huh. the most iconic scene of the movie, it's been parodied so many times, you know, uh, Spaceballs, for instance, <laughs> one of the more recent ones, Ready Player One, Steven Spielberg movie. Oh, uh-huh. uh-huh. So no one knew what was going to happen in terms of the cast, except for John Hurt and apparently Tom Skerritt, too, because Tom Skerritt was um, he was very interested in the uh, filmmaking process and mm-hmm. was sort of sort of shadowing Ridley Scott throughout. So he was in on the meetings and knew okay. what was going to happen. Oh, I've heard about this, this little anecdote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no one else knew exactly what was going to happen. Obviously, they knew something was up because special effects guys were around. People are wearing garbage bags, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry if I should have to set. And everyone else is wearing some sort of repellent, uh, repellent clothing. Right. <laughs> well, they well they didn't know exactly what was going to happen. They just uh-huh. knew something was going to happen. So you know, John Hurt <laughs> was in the table. You know, it was this real head and arms, and then like a fake body. So they knew something was up. Okay, sorry. I just said it's a fake body. Yeah. I thought maybe it was a piece that he wore on his chest. I don't want to talk about my ignorance to this <laughs> believing movie magic situation where I'm just so into it that I'm like, no. <laughs> he could really make something burst out of his chest. Thank yeah. you very much. It was a special talent. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, they did this all in one take. They had a bunch of cameras up. The blood or the chest burster popped out. The blood went shooting, went mm-hmm. right into Ver- Veronica Cartwright's mouth. Yeah, yeah. They show it. <laughs> yeah. She's screaming. And by the way, they used real animal entrails and beef blood. Jeez Louise. (laughs) She was probably a little upset after that. Yeah, I imagine so. But everyone was like pretty shocked at what they were seeing. I mean, this was 1979. The movie came out. So nothing like this had really been done. I mean, Exorcist had its own stuff, but Mm -hmm. this is something a little different than that. (laughs) And um, apparently Yafit Koto was like (laughs) really shook by this mm-hmm. and he had to like go sit in a room by himself and just be quiet like no one could talk yeah, to him yeah I'm sure <laughs> because was... you're supposed to be feeling all of these feelings pretending it's real but then you don't know what's happening so it is real Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the alien design shall we okay penis uh, <laughs> yes again <laughs> again designed by H.R. Giger and you know, he had paintings that looked a lot like the alien, and he uh, was designing the alien. And originally, he gave the alien eyes, mm-hmm. uh, but then at, at some point, he decided that it would be scarier for him to have no eyes. So the alien is actually blind um, and uses his senses to find his prey. Yes. 
the interesting thing about that is in the original movie, his you can't really see it in the movie, but you can see it in behind the scenes photos and still pictures. His dome it's is clear. slightly see through and there's a skull underneath. And that has eyes. It has eye sockets. Yes. Which makes it very interesting to me because I feel like, again, I don't know if this was H.R. Giger's intention, but the alien takes on characteristics of the host it was born in, which they kind of play up more in the sequel. Because, you know, like in Alien 3, I think there's dog aliens that were yes, made out of dogs. there is. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it's very interesting that features from a human are put into this alien that aren't even necessarily useful, but it's just the evolution, basically. Is that why there's that gross, disgusting um, alien baby in Alien Resurrection that's all giant and white and has got a big old belly <laughs> and like has eyes? I don't know much about Alien Resurrection. <laughs> <laughs> we really have to watch it. Yes. Ron Perlman's in it, and Ron Perlman is the best. I remember the basketball scene. You know I can't lay off the tall ones. How you doing? How about a little one-on-one? What do you say? But yeah, I just think it's so neat having that skull. And none of the sequels used the skull, uh, the see-through dome. Oh. That... Only the first one. Did you know that in... But maybe the, maybe the more recent ones did. I don't remember. Predator 2. Yes, I do know this. Mm-hmm. When uh, Danny Glover's walking through the spaceship, there's an alien skull in the background. That's right. Going back to the alien design. So he had that that dome and you know originally one of the ideas also was to fill that dome with live maggots i'm really glad they didn't (laughs) i'm so glad they didn't i think that would have been a disgusting b super disgusting and c really just overboard like there's no reason for it it to be full of maggots it could have been interesting to see some sort of movement in there maybe but it probably wouldn't have read well maybe if it were similar to how the eggs were that would make more sense. And I think that the dome being clear is a callback to the eggs because the bottom yeah. of the eggs are clear. Yeah, that's clearish. True. That's true. You know, the alien, uh, when it opens its mouth, it kind of it has that great grin, you know? Mm-hmm. So to make that work, it's sort of like a wire armature, the lips mm-hmm. and then the skin around it. Do you know what they used for that? Some sort of other animal part? <laughs> no, they used shredded condoms. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's a condom monster. That's fine. I mean, latex, right? Yeah. Condom monster. Well, <laughs> a giant penis. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. It's so bad. Um, but, you know, the mechanics of the alien was done by Carlo Rambaldi, who's a big uh, effects guy. Why have I heard that name before? Probably from you. Well, he did um, the effects for the 1976 King Kong. <laughs> That was like a big deal. He built the giant 60-foot King Kong that didn't really work very well. And, you know, when King Kong initially came out, the 1976 one, they said he was going to be played by a life-size King Kong robot, Mm -hmm. which it ended up only being like two shots in the whole movie that barely moved. (laughs) But but he designed all that. And he also did uh, E.T. E.T. Phone home. Um, The alien was played by... Olaji Bodejo. Mm-hmm. He was a very tall. How tall was he? He was a very tall guy. Um, <laughs> I read two different uh, facts uh, mm-hmm. on what his height was. Uh, 
Some say six foot ten, some say seven foot one. And he was very skinny. He's probably seven feet tall and weighs under 200 pounds. <laughs> Jeez Louise. I, I did meet someone who was seven foot two once and I was just mesmerized. Yeah, very skinny. Uh, he was a graphic designer who they just found at a bar one time. And uh, initially, I think H.R. Giger wasn't convinced that whoever they chose was going to be good enough to play the alien. But mm-hmm. then when they saw when he saw him, he was like, yes, he's perfect. And the guy uh, took Tai Chi and mind classes to help with his performance. Oh, nice. I do like when he stands up. Yeah. Whenever he stands up, he stands up so slowly. Yeah. Um, and it's so imposing. And it feels like because he's usually crouched down or hiding in something, uh-huh. like he's unfolding. And there's something very menacing right. about himself, making himself bigger. Right. Which they really show well in that uh, deleted... Uh, death scene i know i am Um, battling it's you know i'm glad that the that the extended death scenes of parker and lambert i'm I'm glad that it's not in the movie but i'm glad it exists also so i could see that aspect of the costume and everything so balaji bodejo played the alien but there was also a stuntman that played the alien there's some behind the scenes photographs maybe some videos also of the guy in the alien costume without the head and it's like this old Englishman. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, and I think the stunt that he did was uh, being in the chains carrying Brett off. Really? Yeah. Okay. I would not have thought that that would have been the stunt that he would have done. And I was going to say that, that of those scenes, I do like when you see him swinging. You had mentioned earlier, it is a very good scene. Yeah. It's a very good shot. Yeah. In terms of other effects of the movie, of course, we got to talk about uh, Ash and his death scene Mm -hmm. Uh, try and guess what the inside of ash consisted of okay so um spaghetti (laughs) that's right and what were the bulby things the bulby things were just glass marbles they were glass marbles okay yeah there was spaghetti and uh apparently caviar and onion rings onion rings (laughs) yeah and apparently not fried onion rings just like Onion sliced up. (laughs) Probably. (laughs) And this was according to Ian Holm. Uh, He said uh, that's what it consisted of. Okay. And the liquid that he was sweating and all that, that was uh, colored water. Uh, When it's coming out of his mouth, that was milk. This movie's so gross. (laughs) (laughs) It is so gross. Um, So, you know, we're talking about uh, the extended death scenes of Lambert and Mm -hmm. Parker. Yeah. In the movie... You know, you see the uh, tail go around her feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are the feet of Harry Dean Stanton. I know. I called it when we were talking. You did. That's exactly. You we did exactly right. Because I think in the director's cut, they used both shots. Yeah. Where I can't remember if in the original they used both or not. And then later, when you see the body of Parker, you see her feet dangling, but she's not wearing shoes or pants. And people are always wondering what happened to her Mm -hmm. and that's part of where that where the sexual thing comes in with the alien did something Mm. with her but apparently according to the novelization why she's hanging there the way she died was the alien tried pulling her up into an air vent that was too small for her body Mm -hmm. and she was just kind of left there hanging in the vent okay don't know exactly if that makes sense but well i mean they do say that it's getting around going through the vents but if the alien could fit she should fit unless the alien is collapsible 
that's true. Talking about the director's cut and and uh, different deleted scenes, there were so many deleted things that were filmed and not filmed. Uh, I'm going to list a few off for you. Go for it. For instance, originally there was going to be a, a love scene between Dallas and Ripley. Mm. Uh, th- it was planned to be filmed, but Tom Skerritt thought it disturbed the flow of the movie and he talked Ridley Scott into not filming it. That's a good choice. There's also hints or stuff that was going to be done for that Ripley and Lambert were going to be sort of an item. Okay. <laughs> So there were several planned but unfilmed scenes, which were Dallas and Parker using a craft called the Flying Bedsteed to in to enact repairs on the exterior of the ship while in space, the love scene. There would be a scene where the crew is using internal cameras to look for the alien where they would find a halfway matured looking alien, okay. uh, kind of a cross between the chest burster and, and an egg with feet, they called it. <laughs> I don't really... Mm, that doesn't make sense. But it doesn't okay. make sense to me either. Yeah. But that's what that's what they say. But uh, apparently, Dallas's death was supposed to take place in a huge upside down wind tunnel in a, in the air duct system. Okay, that was originally going to be planned. Dallas looks up to see the alien on the ceiling of the of this massive cylinder, where it leaps from one side to another in a super fast descent towards him. Mm. Uh, and then the alien was to pull. Ripley out of the shuttle with the grapple wire when she shoots it with a pistol and then she would make her way back inside the shuttle before mm. destroying I mean obviously that probably just be too much going over budget and an- another neat one that I thought would have been kind of scary was uh, when they shoot Kane off into space there was going to be a shot with his bloated body floating by the window <laughs> that's horrible yeah. i'm glad that they didn't go with that i like that that kane was just shot off into space yeah. and then they are done with that they're done with his body <laughs> like yeah. there's no need to keep doing that anything to him so it, it is a great ending the way the movie works but really scott had an idea for a uh, much darker ending mm-hmm so his idea for the ending was the alien climbs back into the shuttle. Mm-hmm. Ripley harpoons it, but it makes no difference. The alien runs towards her, slams through her masks, and rips her head off. Oh my gosh. It would then sit in her chair and start mimicking Captain Dallas's voice saying, I'm signing off. Hopefully the network will pick me up. It's kind of scary. But, yeah. But not... It's not the alien. <laughs> you know? Yeah, it's very unsettling. Uh, but Fox wasn't too happy with that dark mm-hmm. ending of killing your main character and all that. Mm-hmm. And when uh, Ridley Scott pitched this idea of this ending, there was just long silence over the phone from the executives at Fox. And um, an executive threatened to fire him unless he changed the ending <laughs> where the alien would die. That would have been um, really ballsy, though. I think that that would have been... I wish they kind of would have shot that. I would like to have seen that. <laughs> it would have been interesting to see. Yeah. But uh, Ridley Scott does agree that the the ending that they did choose is the better ending. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'm not talking too much about the cast just because there's just too much to go through. It's a great cast. Everyone is so good at it. Yes. And there are some people that have been in other horror movies since this is Pods and Monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess the biggest one is Veronica Cartwright. Do you know what else she's been in? Not that 70s show. <laughs> she was Rod Taylor's little sister in The Birds. Can I bring the lovebirds, Mitch? They haven't harmed anyone. 
Remember the teacher? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh. And you know who else is in the birds? Sigourney Weaver's uncle. His name was Doodles Weaver. His name was not Doodles Weaver. <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> he played the guy that uh, Tippy Hedren gets the little fishing boat from. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> So I thought that was a little, nice little coincidence. Yeah. So Alien was a huge hit. Obviously, it, it would never have been done, especially the way it was without the success of Star Wars. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, when Star Wars came out, they wanted any sort of space movie, and Alien was something that was on their table. So it got the yeah. green light to go. That's and, great, though. Yeah. I love that it opened up so many different versions of space movies. Yeah, and... You know, it did really well. It had its premiere at the Egyptian Theater in Hollywood. Mm. And they had a replica space jockey on display and concept art. And they actually had the mother set you could walk into. And there oh, were wow. alien <gasps> eggs in the bushes all over. Mm. It was really neat. And uh, But apparently at the premiere, religious zealots set fire to a model of the alien, believing it was the work of the devil. But... <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it. I think it was the first R-rated movie to get action figures, and <laughs> oh wow! Which they came out with a really big, like eighteen-inch alien toy, and it got pulled because parents complained too much about an R-rated movie having toys. Alien action figure, new from Kenner. Give us all the toys. Yeah, and then um, little thing I just want to add on real quick is: Do you know who Bob Burns is? Yes. So Bob Burns is a collector. He uh, collects movie props and things. And he used to run this Halloween house in Burbank where he where he lived or lives. Every year would be a different theme. He did like a, a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde one year. He did The Thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, for 1979, he wanted to do Alien. Mm-hmm. And he met someone at the studio and they said he could come down and take props for his display so he had like the actual alien head and stuff and and they and they rebuilt the nostromo in his garage basically oh wow and just created it and it looked incredible and then so he went did to, someone burn it down <laughs> no <laughs> so he had you know all these props and things and then he um went to go return it and the guy said well all this stuff's just going to be thrown away do you want to keep it and he's like oh i'd I'd love to they say okay we're gonna send some more stuff to you too because this stuff was just sitting there Mm -hmm. they sent three trucks worth of things there was giant model spaceships all the costumes wow you know the the astronaut uniforms Mm -hmm. you can look up some stuff on youtube and see the stuff that he has it's just incredible because all the stuff that is priceless now they were just going to throw away and Mm -hmm. they thought you know he saves all this stuff and lets people see it they might as well give it to him uh he had to sign something saying that he wouldn't sell it you know but you know they would never do that today i hear for when they make a star wars movie they for a current star wars movie they uh put a barcode on every single prop so it's accounted for because they won't let anyone take anything anymore (laughs) well for the harry potter movies all of the wands Uh had um 
I want I want to say like a GPS tracker, but that's not the right verbiage on it. Yeah. But you couldn't walk. You can't walk out of the studio with them. So and they were all accounted for and they had specific slots that they had to be in so that that way none of the extras who everyone who had a Hogwarts uniform on got a wand. Right. And it was unique to them. Um, but they were all being tracked so yeah. no one could leave the studio with the wand. Yeah, it's just crazy how popular props have gotten. Uh, and mm-hmm. then, you know, just 40 years ago, people didn't care about them and they were just throwing these things away. But thankfully, Bob Burns kept so many of these things and uh, they exist today. That's amazing. That's so awesome. Yeah, and he has lots of alien stuff also. He has like a giant queen alien. And also, uh, these people that have given him these props, they... Uh, in their little contract that he signs, if they need it back, he'll let them borrow them. For instance, I think they borrowed the Queen Alien for Alien Resurrection or something. Yeah, they got her all chained up. Yeah, so they like repainted her and kind of fixed her up a little bit and then gave it back to Bob Burns. Oh. So yeah, I thought that was a little neat thing. Mm -hmm. Oh, I also wanted to mention this amazing high school play. Uh-huh. Put on by a high school in New Jersey called North Bergen High School. Uh-huh. Um, they put on a whole alien play and it went viral. Yeah, I saw that too. It looked incredible. Is the whole play available online or is it just clips? I'm not too sure. I only saw a clip of it, so I'm not 100% sure how long it is. But I just saw that they're going to have an encore Ooh. Um, and they got James Cameron. Well, actually, Sigourney Weaver recorded a recording, a video for them, um, right. praising them and totally saying that they were amazing and that she talked to James Cameron about it. Hey, guys, I saw a bit of your production of Alien. and I just want to say it looked incredible. And then uh, Ridley Scott had... Um, filmed his own video for them and um, I believe the production they had put on themselves and fully funded it and I guess made the costumes out of anything that they could find and he offered to help them fund their next production well that's great and you know uh, it's funny that they just found anything that they could to make the costumes and sets and stuff that's kind of what uh, the real alien movie did itself you know to make the sets the design of like the floor of the spaceship was egg cartons. Oh. There's weapons and things that are just made out of everyday items. So looks like those kids took inspiration from the professionals. I love it. It's just so good. Yeah, they did they did just so well. It started a cast of eight students. This isn't their first major production. What was their first one? Um I'm not saying it was their first one, but last year they did Night of the Living Dead. So if that could somehow surface, I think these kids are amazing. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Well, that's great. Congratulations, kids. The total cost for this play was under $3,500. So it's pretty elaborate. Um, It's still pretty pricey for kids. That is. I'm just wondering. I mean, everything is just... It's amazing what they put together and however they were able to raise that money. And I'm really happy to hear that the filmmakers saw it and are totally supporting these kids being amazing at their craft you know honing in and just yeah. this is a really elaborate um production i think for high school but yeah so i just thought that was really worth mentioning um it's so serendipitous that it happened around the time of our recording and 
um, these kids, I don't know, uh, just Google it and it's pretty great. Or we'll include it in our show notes. So that's the history of Alien. And, uh, you know, it's a great movie. I I love it. I have several alien action figures in my collection. Yes. And I just want to end uh, this episode of our podcast with a, a review of the movie from 1979. From whom? This review is from none other than science fiction writer Ray Bradbury. Go for it. A superb film by a new young director who will go very far in the next few years. The film was somewhat overwhelming at times, but the end result was one of total involvement. I felt convinced I was present in the future, at an event from which I could not escape. I believe in what I saw and felt. The look of the film is incredible. The horror of it is memorable. It is probably not everyone's cosmic cup of strange tea, but it will be around for a long while. The test is, do you want to see it again? I do. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great review. (laughs) And... I will be watching Alien over and over in my lifetime. I know that. It's it's right up there as one of my favorites. Yeah, same seems. So um, we hope you uh, enjoyed this little history and reminiscence of Alien. What do you like about Aliens? What are your favorite scenes? What are your <laughs> takeaways? What are your hot takes from Alien? Did you also think that Lance Hendricks? <laughs> was, is it Hendricks? No. What's his last name? Henriksen. Um, you know, <laughs> Bishop. Again, Alien isn't a movie that I watched a lot as a kid. I don't think I saw it till I was older. I'd always known the alien itself as a creature, and you know, I have drawings of him from when I was a little kid. I saw Alien Resurrection in the theater, and it was the first Alien movie that I saw in the theater. And then I believe around the same time they released Alien in the theater again, re-released it. I will say. The biggest thing about Alien, which makes it stand apart from other science fiction movies, or horror movies even for that matter, is the acting and direction. Mm-hmm. Uh, mostly the acting. Um, I just think everyone is so good in Alien. And apparently also the other actors, because this was basically Sigourney Weaver's first role. She was kind of a stage actress. Mm-hmm. The other actors at first were kind of having some qualms about her that she wasn't up to their level. Mm-hmm. But she was. She oh, was, she totally was. She was stern and and tough and all that. She's but, very believable as Ripley. Yeah, all of them are so good and believable. And I just love, I love the conversation scenes, like mm-hmm. right before the chestburster scenes when they're just sort of, I think they're, they're most likely ad-libbing, just having conversations about whatever. And I was really hoping that's what... Uh, alien covenant was going to be because when that first trailer came out when they showed all the couples just sitting around having dinner Mm -hmm. i thought oh this is going to be great but that was just for the trailer not in the movie (laughs) we'll get into the alien sequels another time but uh it all started with a great motion picture where in space no one can hear you scream so where can uh all these good folks find us, Anthea. You can find us on Instagram at Pods and Monsters Podcast and on Facebook and Twitter at Pods and Monsters. Please subscribe, like, and review us. So for Pods and Monsters, this is Robert. This is Anthea. 
And we thank you for joining us on the Horror Spook Show. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Bye. <laughs> Goodbye and pleasant dreams. This is Ripley, last survivor of the Nostromo, signing off.